Lord Jesus Christ, we worship you and we adore you. I ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts this morning that we might hear from you, the risen Lord who lives today. And it's in your name and for your glory we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So if I don't back up and knock over these flowers, that alone will be an, an Easter miracle uh, for all of us to behold. Um, it smells amazing up here. Uh, I, it'll be another miracle if my allergies don't start going crazy. Um, so pray for me, please. Um, but this is, this is so fun and exciting to be here this morning. So if you were to think about a year from your life that you would like to relive, what would that year be? What would that year be that you would like to go back and relive, to do over again? So recently we had uh, some meetings in our home, Molly and I did, uh, about another subject, and a lot of you were there, and this was the question that we posed to the group on the multiple occasions in which we had these meetings. If you had a year to relive, what would it be? And a lot of you answered something pretty fun. You know, maybe it was a trip to Italy, or, you know, the year that you got engaged, or, other fun, exciting things, but about half of the room answered something that probably wouldn't be put in the category of fun. About half of the answers had something to do with regret. Maybe it was a year that you wanted to relive because the following year is when a loved one passed away, and so you wanted some more tender time with your mom or your dad. Or maybe some of you wanted a second chance at a major decision that you had made. You wanted to get it right this time. Maybe it was a a move that you took or a job that you took or something like that that in the long run didn't pan out the way that it expected. And so you would want a do-over. We all have things that we want to rewrite about the past. We all have loved ones who we would love to have more time with. We all want a chance to not repeat that really, really stupid thing that we once did back in the day or maybe even earlier this morning. Well, friends, I have good news for you. This is Resurrection Sunday. And this is the day in which we proclaim to one another that God is making all things new. You might be burdened by guilt now, but you won't be forever. You might be lonely now, but you won't be forever. You might be hopeless now, but you won't be forever. You might be suffering now, but you won't be forever. You see, friends, through Jesus Christ, God is making all things new. Now, what do I mean by that? What does it mean that God is making all things new? Well, I'd love to turn our attention to this beautiful passage, this beautiful story that we read from Luke's gospel this morning. It's such a fun and exciting passage. Do you know what I love about this passage? Like, nobody has any idea what's going on. Like, everyone is totally surprised and shocked. They're running around. They're bumping into each other. Like, this is a crazy story. The Bible says that when the women arrived, that they were perplexed. Now, how is that for an understatement, right? You open up this tomb, and nobody's there. Perplexed is the best word we have for it. I don't think that really grasped what they were saying. And then the disciples, once they hear what the women said, they don't even believe the women. Did you hear that rude phrase that they thought? They thought it was an idle tale. Like, how offensive is that, right? Those are the disciples. And then Peter, he goes to check it out. He sees the empty tomb, and he's like, I I, I don't know. I I don't know. And he just goes home, is what the text tells us. (laughs) 
Like, what in the world is going on here? Nobody knows what's going on. So just as a bit of recap, so we hear some of the context of what's going on, what happened before the story. This has been a really intense week for the disciples, for these women, for the people who loved Jesus. Someone earlier this morning was saying, wow, I'm tired. We've done a lot of church this week. We even did an Easter egg hunt yesterday. Like, I'm tired. They've seen an intense week like, like we have never seen before. Days before, these women had seen Jesus, their beloved teacher, their trusted friend, tortured and crucified by the authorities. They saw him whipped, beaten, nailed to a cross, pierced with a spear, and ultimately they saw him die. And now they finally get a chance, after the Sabbath, to come and offer some sort of meaningful burial or something for their beloved teacher. No doubt that they would have been sharing stories along the way to the tomb about their memories of Jesus. Maybe they had stories that they weren't willing to speak out loud because they were just still so tender and so raw, but they were churning them over and over in their heads before. And my goodness, these women had such great stories to tell. They heard Jesus proclaim that God has not forgotten them. They heard Jesus say that God blesses those who have nothing. They heard Jesus say that God notices those who are unnoticeable. And these weren't just thoughts and prayers from Jesus. Jesus actually walked the walk as well. You see, when Jesus touched the sick, they were actually healed. And when Jesus prayed for the blind, their sight was restored to them. There's even reports of this time in which Jesus was weeping over the death of a loved one, and that man came back to life again. And so now, these women come to the tomb, expecting to honor the most amazing man that had ever lived. But here's the thing. The man wasn't there. The dead man wasn't there anymore. The tomb was empty. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Is the question that's posed to them. And from here on out, it's pandemonium. We have words like perplexity, right? We have disbelief. We have astonishment. We have fear. This is a crazy story. So hypothetically speaking, let's say someone gives you a time machine right now. Cool, awesome, time machines are sweet. Like, let's take advantage of the time machine, right? Well, here's, here's a couple tips for you. If you have a time machine and you decide that like, you wanna go back to the first century and start a new religion, this isn't the way to do it. Like, this isn't how you start a world religion in the first century. There's lots of reasons why. I wanna point out two reasons in particular why this is not how you wanna start a religion. First of all, we have women who are primary sources here. It's women who are the primary witnesses. And here in today's world, women can vote. There's been a lot of achievement. We still have a lot of work to do, obviously, for the rights of women here in this country and around the world. But things were especially hard back then for women. Women could not even be counted as a credible witness in a court of law. Imagine that. Your voice wouldn't, wouldn't be seen as an authoritative voice. If you saw something happen and you were reporting it, no one would believe you unless a man was with you. And yet, at the same time, 
All four gospel writers, all of them, attest that it was the women who were the first witnesses to the empty tomb. And Luke especially, the gospel writer who we read from this morning, he hits this point over and over and over in his gospel passage. If we were to flip back to the chapter before, in Luke 23, verse 49, Luke points out that it was the women there who saw the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They saw him die. And then a few verses later, it's the women who follow and they see the body that is laid in the tomb. And then here in today's passage, we see that it's the women who come and they see that this tomb is empty. They are witnesses along from point A, from point B to point C. They see the whole thing. They see the death, the burial, and the empty tomb. So what does that mean for us today? Why does it matter that women are the, are the, the ones who see this? Because if you're here this morning and you're unsure about this whole Christianity thing, this whole resurrection thing, if this, is, if this is strange and bizarre to you, maybe a friend dragged you here and you're like, fine, I'll go to this. You have to grapple with this. Like, you have to wrestle with the fact that one of the most ethnocentric and sexist societies of all time, in the middle of that, they decided, the gospel writers wanted to point out, and it's reaffirmed by the early church, that it was the women who were the first witnesses to the empty tomb. You have to ask yourself, why did they do that? Well, the answer why is because it's true. The answer why is because that's what happened. And they felt compelled to share this story, to say, this is what happened. Yes, we didn't have credible witnesses here to do it, but guess what? That's who God decided to be the witnesses. And so we have to tell the story. And so if this is questionable to you, you have to go home and really wrestle with that. Read the history books about this. Look into the research. This is a big deal. It's a big deal because it was true, because it is true. Well, then Jesus begins to appear to some of the other disciples. He begins to validate the words of those women of the empty tomb, giving them a voice, saying, yes, what they saw is true. Here I am. Take your hands, place them in the holes in my hand and into my side. And like a forest fire, this faith spread throughout the entire Mediterranean world all throughout the world, even to this day, to here. If you're at the Easter vigil service last night, Josh Moon was talking about this, and he said, the gospel went so far to even reach this frozen tundra in a land that was on another continent far away to here now. It's an absolute miracle that this news is still being told and celebrated even today, here, now. So a second reason why this is a really bad way to start a, world, a new religion is because if we were to rewind back to the first century, if we were to take a look and, and talk to the Jews back then and, un, and try to learn what they meant by the phrase resurrection, this isn't it. Like, like this isn't what they would have thought of when they talked about the resurrection. You see, for the first century Jew, the resurrection, that was something that, was supposed to ha that is supposed to happen at the end of history. That is something that happens a long time from now. That's not something that happens here today. In fact, if you go and read through the Old Testament prophets, they talk about this great and mighty and terrifying day of the Lord in which God will come down in chariots of fire and he will judge the wicked and he would resurrect the saints of old and he would usher in a new era of peace in which evil and darkness would be fully vanquished forever and ever. And so this is why the disciples, whenever Jesus told them quite plainly, I'm going to die and rise again on the third day, 
This is why the disciples were like, okay, like that doesn't, that never computes with them. Like it doesn't register with them because they don't have a framework for understanding what Jesus meant about this resurrection. They thought that Jesus was just speaking figuratively, right? Because that's kind of what Jesus did a lot. We're told many times that he would teach and people would be scratching their heads. Move this mountain, if you tell this mountain to move, it will obey you. Figurative language, right? You are salt, you are light, figurative language. Jesus loved to speak in parables over and over again. And so when Jesus talks about his raising from, rising from the dead, no doubt they would have thought that this is just figurative, right? No way that they would have thought that Jesus was talking about his resurrection happening now. Now this might seem like a weird sort of ancient theological correction to make, but I actually think that some of us here in this room uh, may have been told something very similar about the Christian faith. I think a lot of us, maybe, I mean, I, I grew up in a church like this. I, I don't know, maybe I can't speak for everybody here, but I thought that being a Christian was all about just being baptized or whatever and then hanging out until I get to go to heaven someday. You know, like being a Christian is just about getting that bus ticket and then you, you come and you sit down and you just, you just kind of wait for the bus to come and pick you up, you know? And it's like, friends, if, if all we're doing is having these holy huddles and waiting for Jesus to come back, like, one, that's kind of boring, and two, that's kind of sad. Like, that's not a living faith that I want to be a part of. That's not a kingdom that I would want to be a part of. Like, Jesus, when you, read the old, when you read the words that he says, he says that abundant life is now. Abundant life begins now. And this is what the resurrection is all about. This is what the resurrection is all about. You see, what, what Jesus is doing in the resurrection is he is saying that God's kingdom from, from then, yes, that will come, and someday we will see the fullness of God's kingdom come, when all evil will be fully eradicated, in which death will be fully destroyed, in which darkness will be totally vanquished. But in Jesus Christ, God the Son is backing up from that future reality, and he says, my kingdom begins now, and I want you to be a part of it. I want you to partake with me in ushering in this new kingdom. I want you to give a voice to those who are marginalized. I want you to restore hope to those who are hopeless. I'm bringing in new life now, and Jesus wants us to participate in that with him. This is why Jesus' followers are so mystified. They're so flabbergasted. They're gobsmacked in this moment, right? Because they're seeing a new reality breaking forth. Something entirely new is happening here. So several years later, not quite, the dust hasn't quite settled yet, but Paul starts writing these letters to the churches, right? He's telling people about this, this Jesus event that happened. And we get some beautiful words in the scriptures in the New Testament. We see the, the letter to the Romans. So I want to point out a couple things from this. I want to point out new realities, new spiritual realities that you and I get to actually participate in now. First of all is this. Resurrection life here now means that, friends, we are free from guilt. We are free from guilt. All those regrets that you've been carrying over the years, all the sorrow from the things that you've done or the things that you've left undone, they have no hold on you anymore. They don't need to burden you anymore. They don't need to hold you down anymore. 
Because what Paul is telling us, if you look at those first verses of this passage that we just read, Paul is telling us that we have been united with Christ. Through baptism, through faith in Christ, we are united with him. That means that if you put your faith in Jesus, if you put your trust in him, when you stop seeing yourself as the king of your own heart, and you see him as the king of your heart, there is a cosmic shift that happens within you. You are grafted into Jesus Christ. As Paul says, the old self is crucified with Jesus, and now you are alive with Christ. That resurrection life is with you. So the first thing that we have through resurrection life is that we are free from the guilt, from the chains of guilt and shame. The second thing is this. God fills his people with wonder and amazement. Do you think the resurrection was the only time that God surprised his people? Of course not. Of course not. Were you here yesterday at the egg hunt? We were planning an egg hunt for 200 people. There was like 1,000 people there yesterday. It was nuts. Like the weather spiked up. It was beautiful outside. The park district blasted it everywhere. There was 1,000 people there. Poor Ben on the coffees just like dishing it out like crazy. Oh, it was so much fun. God loves to give fun, beautiful gifts of wonder to his people. And parties like that are super fun. But you know what's even more amazing and wonderful? In the midst of suffering, in the midst of loneliness, in the midst of sorrow, in those moments, God visits his people. God gives his people hope. God gives his people peace. God gives his people joy. When you're tempted to think, is this all there is to life? Is this it? You can be assured that God, that Christ, God in Christ knows this path well. This is the man of sorrows. This is the crucified Messiah. And he is with you. And that should fill all of us with a sense of wonder and awe. And for those of you who've experienced this, this sort of supernatural presence of Jesus in the midst of suffering, you know that there is nothing more real than the presence of Christ in that moment. Nothing will convince you otherwise of it. Because Jesus Christ is our rock, and he gives us a sense of wonder and awe. The third thing is this. He gives us a family. He gives you a family. In Christ, you are given a beautiful, amazing family. All throughout this Romans language, or all throughout this letter in Romans, you see this phrase over and over again, we. Paul uses it a lot. We. You see, he's writing to a group of believers who are rich and who are poor, who are male and female, who are Jews and Gentiles, young and old, kind of like a group like this, right? Paul is writing to the we, to us. So are you lonely today? My invitation to you is to step out of the valley of the shadow of death and come and be a part of God's family. Come be a part of this. This is a place where we tell the stories of God's power. This is a place where we carry one another's burdens. This is a place where we feast together with spiritual food every single week. This is a wonderful place. It's not a perfect place, not by any stretch, not with this guy sort of being the pastor. This isn't a perfect place, but this is a beautiful, redeemed, restoring place. You see, friends, when you walk in Christ... You walk with a family. So my wife does something pretty cool, um, I must say, uh, every Wednesday night. 
uh, she goes to the Shakopee Women's Jail and she leads a Bible study there with some of the prisoners. It is wild. Uh, she comes home every week with a story. And if that's something that you would like to do, please come and tell us. Like, we'd love to plug you in and get you involved in that. Um, in fact, Kurt Swanson, he goes to the men's jail as well. So it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So this last week, um, there was a new prisoner who joined the Bible study. And she was transferred from a different jail. Uh, she came uh, to this. And she was mostly quiet throughout the discussion. Uh, and then they started sharing some prayer requests. And this woman started to open up and share how she came to this prison, how she was transferred because a guard um, took significant advantage of her. And now she found herself here at this prison. And she was really disappointed because she, first she was in a room uh, with another believer. And so she was excited because she got to pray with this other person. But then she got transferred to a jail cell with, with two women who were less agreeable, we shall say, uh, just quite difficult uh, to be with, who were badgering her, who were teasing her, who were mocking her, who were poking at her. And before Molly even had a moment to empathize for this woman, before Molly even had a chance to say, oh, I'm so sorry, like, can we pray for you? The other women in the group interrupted. They jumped in immediately. The room was electric, and they all started to support her and to cheer her on. We've got your back. We are praying for you. You have the Holy Spirit. God doesn't give you anything that you can't handle. He is with you. We are your sisters. You can do this. They kept saying over and over again. And Molly was just shocked. She's like, awesome. Like, this is the church being the church inside of a prison. Like, how amazing is this? Those women get it. They get, they understand that resurrection life is now. This isn't some sort of thing where we're just waiting for the bus to come. It is now. Those women in that prison are just like their sisters who showed up at the tomb that Easter morning. Both have witnessed the victory of Christ and the power of the empty tomb. And now, both of these groups, they are proclaiming the power of the resurrection to one another and to us here today. So my friend, the invitation to you this morning is to come and be a part of this life. You might be surrounded by bars. You might be walking to the tombs every day. But come and be a part of this life where we are walking in the power of the risen Christ. This isn't just a psychological pep talk. These are spiritual realities. In faith, we are united with Christ. We are given honor and wonder to proclaim his resurrection. And one day we will see the whole entire complete work of Christ. And we shall see him face to face. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, we are in awe of you and your resurrection. Lord, I pray that here this morning you would come and visit us. That you would speak to us, Lord. Speak to us through our prayers. Speak to us through the sacrament. Speak to us through the song, Lord. Open our hearts. We want to hear from you. We want to hear from the risen Lord this morning. I pray for those, Lord, here today who are lost, who are, who are confused, who are wandering. Lord, may they know that this is a place where they can encounter you, the risen Lord. Lord, pour out your resurrection life now. Pour out your gifts of forgiveness, your gifts of peace, your gifts of family. 
Inform us, O risen Lord, to be proclaimers of your goodness today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.